What are we going to do as a church? Our souls need to wake up. We need to respond to the gospel of Jesus. He said, go into the world. We don't want to deal with reality, Christian. We don't even want to deal with reality even though we've been saved from this place. I'm calling on you today in the name of Jesus to rise up to the call of God. Christ is coming back soon. If I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? People stop and think about it. If hell really exists, and it does, I didn't say that Jesus did, then don't you think people need to know about it? Can't you at least give them a fighting chance? Or are you just going to sit there and let them burn? How's everybody doing tonight? Awesome. Well, for those that don't know me, my name is Christopher Taylor, and I'm an intern here at Sunrise Church, Sunrise Bible Church, and um, this is going to be a night of my testimony, and it's going to be a mixture of my life, dealing with business, music, and what God is taking me through. So, for those that don't know, I was born in Kingston, Jamaica, in 1972, and Basically, I don't re really remember much about that era in my life, but um, we, me and my mom came here in 1976 where she was running away from my dad that was really abusive. And he actually pushed her down while I was in her stomach. And so she was fleeing from all of that. And we came here when I was four years old. That's 1976. And God has been dealing with me with a lot of issues that went on in my past that no one knows about but me and him. And that would be, in 1979, I got molested, but no one knew. I never told anyone. And the, the particular thing is, it happened where my mom worked. So, she still doesn't know. And tonight the whole world knows. But, that part of, part of my life is going to lead into some other things that's going to be key to understanding um, where I went even after God brought me back to him. So, in this year, 1979, where the, the movie Prophecy, the monster movie came out. That's how I, I know that's, that was the time that it happened because I remember all the commercials from then. And so, I also went back to Jamaica and uh, for a short-lived time, and uh, I was with a father figure that, you know, made a little impact in my life. But the, the big problem with um, a lot of the youth nowadays is fatherlessness. And it's a subject that's very ignored um, until you really take a look at the demographics of how many fatherless children are out there. So that was a, a, a really good time in my life spent with... Um, the, uh, the father figure there. And so, uh, in, in this time in Jamaica now, I, I went to a theater called Odeon. And Odeon is a little mismatch of everything. It's not, it doesn't, it's not around anymore. They, they demolished it. But this is where I saw some very hardcore and scary martial arts films. Uh, one depicted people that were being taken to hell and tortured in some very peculiar ways. And they were fighting demons with swords and all this stuff. We know that's unbiblical, but that's what they did. So uh, another, another one was um, they were showing a lot of nudity. And remember, I'm seven years old now. So 
the reasons why I was taken there, I don't know. Can't, you know, I can only speculate, you know? So those memories are, are very vivid in my mind. And uh, still, I can see it right now as I'm talking to you. So now, in 1980, I went to Ohio to visit my father's mother. I have two grandmothers, so, you know, it's, I can say my father's mother. And for the first time, and she taught me some life lessons and really told me how to hone in on common sense and how to be aware of everything around you. And um, so we also took extra trips to New York. This is where I was introduced to films like Superman 2 and other films. Uh, this is where I went to see the Statue of Liberty for the first time. It was an amazing experience. And even toured around by the monumental, at the time, World Trade Center. So then 1981, we moved to a place in Miami called Cherry Bay. Uh, this is where I would spend many nights watching outrageous movies with my mom. Anything from Swamp Thing to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, to all sorts of scary movies. And I, mean, I wasn't shielded much from this, you know? I would sit there and watch with my mom, you know? And I, I feel like entertainment, when you're that young, it leaves a, like a burnt impression in your mind as a child. So then she took some jobs where she wasn't really there often, and I started acting out in school and calling the teachers all sorts of names. And, uh, but in the middle of this, this uh, place that we lived, there was a guy that was renting a room from us, or from my mama, or whoever owned the place at the time, and he showed me some Playboy magazines by someone, I mean, this is a guy, I know his name, I'm not gonna say it, um, but uh, it, I knew it was inappropriate then, but he, you know how uh, an older 20-something year old would kind of be like, this is how you be a man, you look at this stuff, you know? So Mark put a pin in that one and you'll see how it affected my life later on. So this is at the time where Star Wars came out and time bandits were circulating on cable TV. The cable TV at the time was called On TV, if anybody remembers that. It's a short-lived cable company, but I think it was around for like two years. And this is around the time that MTV gained ground after its launch in 1981, the season of Max Hedrum. I know a lot of you remember that. Um, so let's skip to 1983 now. Uh, I was going to elementary school. And, you know, it, I forgot a part of my, my thing here. When I came from Jamaica, I knew how to tell my timetables, read, uh, write sentences, everything at four years old. So they kept me back for a year, not sure why, but. Um, so when I got back into elementary school now, I felt a little held back. It, it was way behind the teaching I got in Jamaica. So anyway, I, I used to walk home and I stumbled upon a garbage bag full of pornography. Stared at it, stared at it for a little bit, but then, you know, went on my way home. So. Um, then I went to one of my cousin's house that same summer, and they also showed me some pornographic films that was hidden in their parents, you know, locked away somewhere, right? So all these little seeds of uh, sexual immorality is getting planted in my mind. So in 1984, we went, I went back to Ohio, and this is where, you know, this is about around the time of Ghostbusters and all that stuff, we had, we had a lot of fond memories about that place. And, um, but at the fall of that year, I was diagnosed with diabetes. 
The sickness, uh, it basically almost took me out, but God had other plans. My mother was away working, and the people that were charged to taking care of me, they totally ignored all the symptoms that I had. And it, wasn't, it was because they had a party um, one night that a close friend, friend of the family saw that I wasn't looking too well. And um, I was outside just kind of uh, breathing hard, you know? So the next day, they took me to the emergency room, and there I was diagnosed. I was way underweight and didn't look like myself. My mom was terrified. So after that, my grandmother, my father's mother, flew in from Ohio and took care of me when no one else wanted to. And I literally mean no one else wanted to. So that was that beginning of the struggle with diabetes and taking insulin every day, shooting you know, needles, it's terrifying. But I had to deal with it. So went back to, to Ohio back in, in 1985 to be with my grandmother again. You know, that was the year of The Color Purple. If anybody remembers that film, that's the first film that introduced a lot of women to lesbianism. And so I would go back and watch The Color Purple a whole bunch of times in Star Trek Three. you know, just giving you some pop culture references. And in 1986 now, I started showing an interest in design and freehand illustration and did artwork for clothing and comic books and I wish I had a PowerPoint here to show you all the stuff, but it <laughs> didn't work out. But um, I, I, I draw a lot. I used to draw a lot, all the way up to high school and after high school. And, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll see all this as I go on. So anyway, in 1988, under the influence of groups like the NWA and Two Life Crew and many other musicians, um, I was wayward. And I was, I, was, I was the guy that went to school all the time with headphones on. And so I was deep into what you would call the, the hip-hop culture, but I call it rap music. And my brothers at the time, they were still in Jamaica, and they came up in 1988. And they, they were already saved. And in fact, they had just became diabetics too. So it was like, okay, this drums is not family. So one night, we had a conversation about like, future things. And we started talking about Nostradamus, and they took me into the Bible and showed me what the Bible said. And, and I was very interested, because I'm like, if the Bible is saying all this and it's real, then, you know, this is more exciting than sci-fi. And they were, they were like, well, you know, you need to accept Christ. And at, at that time, I mean, I was already going to church a little bit, you know, being sent there by my grandmother and my mother or whatever. But I didn't really know who, know who Jesus Christ really was. And so they kind of explained it to me and, it, and told me, it's, you know, it's a free gift and everything. I was like, that's it? I just have to accept that? And they're like, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm down. Let's pray. And so we prayed. The next day, I get baptized. No, the, the, following, the next weekend, I get baptized. And then I started going to a place called Metropolitan Baptist Church in Miami. It was a very small church, but I met a lot of good people there. And the same year, I met my first love. I got saved at 16 and, you know, saw the girl there and, you know, talked to her or whatever. And then two years later, we broke up the <laughs> because of rumors that weren't true. So anyway, in 1990 now, I started writing songs because, again, I went to school with music always playing. And uh, this rap thing, it, it, it was starting to get bigger and bigger in our society. 
So a lot of friends in school wanted to go record a song and everything. They said, hey, come on, and whatever. So we uh, went and recorded songs. And I started a group called Third Degree um, with my cousin and another guy from around the, the, the neighborhood while um, the other kids at school did, did what they were doing. And um, we, we got signed to a local record label. <laughs> no one knows this, but we did. And, um, but at the time, one of the group members said, I want to go to college, so that kind of fizzled everything, so it didn't go anywhere. So now, now in high school, um, everybody knew me as the artist, class clown, and the guy that would draw graffiti on people's jeans for 20 bucks. I was doing mixtapes, drawing comic books, all sorts of stuff I was doing. Um, and I wasn't sexual during high school. Um, we heard in, you know, in, in church, you know, don't fornicate, don't fornicate. We didn't hear the reasons why not to, but I just didn't choose to do that in high school. So now in 1992 is when I graduated. And I graduated late because, again, I was held back um, when I first got here. But in ninth grade, I did mess up a lot. And I, I, I didn't really have much guidance uh, not to blame everything on my mom, she, she was working to put food on the table, but she was doing a living job working with older people, so she couldn't really be there that much. And I, I had guidance for my entire life, you know, from myself. So, in 92, I graduated um, a little late, and I started seeing, seeing a young lady who tore my whole world apart by cheating on me. But needless to say, this is when... I had my first sexual experience, and God said not to do such things, but I went ahead and did it anyway, and it caused a lot of pain. So one of my things I always tell young people is just wait. Just wait. I don't care how much you like the person, how, much, how beautiful they are, how wise they are. Anything can bring on some sort of sexual situation, and the best thing to do is just not do anything and stay abstinent. And, you know, the Bible says there's a way um, that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. At that time, this is when AIDS was the big thing, the big new disease, and who knows, I could have caught that. I didn't, I didn't take any caution, any. So, and the culture, as, as like today, influenced this sexual um, appetite. Like I mentioned before, groups like Two Life Crew, they're a very sexual group, but I was, I was exposed to that every day in school, every day in public school. So moving forward, I started college. Um, I won awards in, in, in high school for uh, doing, uh, getting this from competitions, and I won a scholarship from Burdines, if you guys remember that company, and, and another scholarship. And then in 1993, I started going to college at Miami-Dade. And in the middle of all that, I started another rap group <laughs> uh, called Legion of Skills. And I met this guy named G. Brown from On Point Entertainment, who helped us to get shows and bookings or whatever, or get to record on certain CDs that were coming out. But right in the middle of all that, after the first semester, I dropped out of college. Again, no real guidance, no one to say, hey, stay to it, stick to it, you know? None of that stuff. So, I just kind of went my own way. Now, in the summer of 93, I went to a, a concert by a guy named Redman. 
He's a rapper from New York. And what was peculiar about this, this is my first time ever seeing a demonic manifestation. He was rapping on stage, and I knew the song he was sing singing. He, I knew all the songs. He was rapping, and he fell off stage and started convulsing and squirming around on the floor and foaming at the mouth, and he just got right back up and went on stage. I said, this guy got to be possessed. It has to be. There's no, no way to explain that. And it wasn't just a part of the act. I'm telling you, you'd have to be there. <laughs> so that, that's my first demonic uh, manifestation that I saw. And so now in 1994, I started um, working at a large music distributor, uh, the largest music distributor in the country called Alliance Entertainment, formerly known as Jerry Basson. But this is the part of my life where I started to mess around with a lot of young ladies, still not um, heeding what God's word declares. And uh, the, the, the Legion of Skills that I told you about, they, that fell apart. But now I rebranded it a couple of years as Legion of Skills Archangel because I'm going back to church. Yeah, but still here, I'm fornicating. And it's, it's like uh, this, this one foot in, one foot out the church sort of thing. And um, I teamed up with a producer called Rockmaster and his group called the Hellraisers. And they're more like a New York style rap group. And so we did shows and ran around in the underground circuits until, again, the music career got put on, put on hold because one of my members wanted to go again to college. <laughs> so um, I'm just left working, regular job or whatever. And so fast forward to 1995 now, there's a group out called Wu-Tang Clan. And I was listening to a lot of their music. But this, this one called Jizza had an album called Liquid Swords. And I would put it on at night, every night, and just let it play while I sleep. And in this time of my life, I was again trying to go back to church, you know, do, doing the dance. And it seemed like some demonic force didn't like that. So <laughs> I would go to sleep at night, and then feel like I'm getting held down. I know some people call this sleep paralysis, but this wasn't sleep paralysis. And so I got kind of scared. And so but I, I would consult church members, and no one had an answer for me, no one. And so I go back to sleep, getting held down again every other night. And so I just prayed to God. I said, hey, something like this. Why is this happening to me? I don't, I don't understand. Da, da, da. And then around three days later, now, now remember this is a long couple of weeks, this stuff going on. I was even paranoid to go to the house. It was that bad. If no one was home and the lights weren't on, I'm not going in there. So somebody had to, one time I, I drove to the house, looked, no one was there. I kept, <laughs> I ran around, I ran around, I drove around, came back, and then I saw the lights on. I said, okay, somebody's there, I'm going inside. I felt like something was always watching me. And you know, you, can, you could sum it up to a little paranoia or what. But that spirit was real. And so I don't know if it was a week later or three days later, I had a dream. And this record started playing from a group called Gravediggers. And it just stopped. It scratched at a certain point. And the voice said, it's the music that you're listening to, listening to why these things are happening. And I was like, wow. And the last time it happened, I felt like it was four spirits 
hanging on to me, and one manifested in the corner of my room in a dark shadow. So second <laughs> demonic manifestation, and uh, I didn't entirely let go of secular music then, but at the time, um, I, uh, I got into a lot of theater music and stuff like that, stuff with no lyrics, <laughs> and then some Christian music, the ones I thought I could trust, and I just kept it like that. But then I, got, I started to go back into, this is between 1995 now and 1997. I started to go back into church and uh, watching a lot of Jack Van Inky Presents every Wednesday night. And I was fascinated with the headlines because I'm, I'm always intrigued by Bible prophecy. So I also started watching The Thief in the Night, if you remember that, from the 70s. I, I don't know where I got it from. I can't remember who I borrowed it from, but I had the, the, the entire pack in VHS format. And I would just sit there every night after work and watch it and repent every night. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, this rapture thing, man, it's really crazy. Like, it's going to happen, and the mark of the beast, and the Antichrist, and all this stuff. I mean, even though the, 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 uh, the, the, the series are a little campy, it, the impact was made. So after that, um, 1998 now, <laughs> after you know, working at a few different jobs, I met my daughter's mother. And this person, wow, I can go on for days talking about this person, but it was a very volatile, turbulent situation. And within a year, uh, she was pregnant. And she was moved in with me, too. Another, you know, another thing I shouldn't have done. But, you know, the blessing that came out of having my daughter is, you know, you don't want to re rewind that, that tape. So I um, had my daughter, and I started learning how to design on computers and strove to get art out to the world. My brothers and I started an online inspirational Christian gallery called INSPIKS, I-N-S-P-I-K-S.com. It stands for Inspirational Pictures. It, 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 gained, it gained a lot of traffic online and, um, and a lot of appeal. My brother Mike said that God gave him the idea to start it, so glory to God. And we did that, but my life was still not consecrated to God. So, um, sorry, I, I went ahead a little bit further. She wasn't born in 1998, she was born in 1999, April 7th, 1945 a.m. And so from there, uh, it was a lot of ups and downs, like I said before, with uh, her mother, and uh, in, in the year 2000, I moved out. And then I started rapping again. <laughs> started up the music again um, because I was requested to from my, my friend that came back from college. And this is the year where I found out how accessible pornography was. And, uh, but the addiction wasn't, uh, it was minimal. And the, the, I, had, I saw how much of a responsibility it was to raise a child. Nikita, from she was young, <laughs> in the crib, I would come home from work and say that if the crib is like, this, this is the bed, and the crib is this high, she would crawl up and go like this, boom, on the bed, and then crawl over and lay on my back and go to sleep. <laughs> so in the year 2000 now, while I'm, I'm, I moved out and I took her with me, she would follow me everywhere. And so I'm taking a shower, but I leave the door open so if anything happens, I can hear. And she walks in and she just boom on the on the she slips on the bathroom floor. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't take this. No. So I had to 
After that, I took her back to her mother because I couldn't handle the responsibility. So in 2001 now, I started bootlegging on the streets. And this is, um, in, in this era right here, moving up, it was another part of the pornography coming back into my life. Um, and then I started um, the group called GoldenEye. And we put out a couple mixtapes over the course of the next couple of years. And um, it, was, it was a lot of, um, I wasn't a happy person. I was very, very angry at women just because of what Nikita's mom did. And so I would lash out at them or you know, say whatever I had to say. And I didn't take anyone seriously for a long time. <laughs> uh, so it took God to really pull me back, and you'll see in a moment what I mean. So in 2003, most of that year was spent bootlegging CDs on the street and making a lot of money, um, recording music and all this stuff. So in 2004 now, I got into an altercation with people that I was doing business with on the street. But before that, now I'm not from a charismatic circle, so don't take this as a charismatic thing. But uh, I had to take my brother to work one morning. He said to me, God told me to tell you to put him first. And at that time, it's like you have an eye on God, but it's, the eye is way over there and everything else is more serious, you know. I have to make this money. So I told him, I said, hey, I know, I get it, you know. And two, I would say maybe a week, two weeks tops after that, that's when uh, I had this dream about people coming into my house to kill me. And it shot me five times. And then I survived, but then I went into my, my, my computer room and everything was gone. So that's where this comes in. A uh, cousin that I didn't trust to, um, this is three days later, by the way, after the dream. A cousin that I didn't trust to come to my house happened to, he, I had to bring him there. And he knocked on the door and to get, come get his, which, what we call a re-up. He's coming to get more CDs. And I let him in and he goes around to the bathroom, then goes around to the front and lets four other people in. And so it wasn't at gunpoint or anything. They just came to steal equipment and get something that was theirs. And right before that, I gave back to the owner an AK-47, a little small one like this, because they gave it to me to protect myself. So imagine if I had that weapon that day, I probably would have killed some people. So when, immediately when that happened now, it's like one of the worst things that ever happened in my life. My whole thought was kill, kill somebody, you know, take revenge, do something. And then the devil was in my ear the whole time as far as people, other people saying, ah, oh, you know, I could take care of this for you. People that I don't even know why they even wanted to help me. We weren't that close. And, but the one verse that came to mind is vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine. And so at the time now, at the same time, I had this horrible toothache. And it forced me to think on God, meditate on him. And the only channel that I had on TV to watch was TBN. So I put on TBN and watching some of these people, but um, it really forced me to think about God and everything like that. So 
Um, I never, I never re retaliated. And the funny thing is, some of them act like nothing happened. But, you know, um, God has a way of making everything right. And so this one day now, again, not a, from a charismatic circle, but this happened for real. I'm watching this, this sermon on TV by somebody that I, don't even, I wouldn't even promote today. But it wasn't about him. It's about the song that was being sang. And I was just, it was just putting me into a mood, a mood of worship, you know? And this presence came over me for like two seconds. And tears just started flooding. The feeling I never felt before in my life. I don't know what you want to call that. Make of it what you want, but that really happened. So that's 2004. And remember now that I'm still bootlegging. And I happen to start bootlegging DVDs now instead of just CDs. And what people want is not just movies, they want the pornography too. So I would, guess what? Look at this stuff. And that started a little bit of uh, the addiction again, but it wasn't long-lived. So in 2005, my entrepreneurial spirit kicked in and I started a mixtape online called Secret Weapons. Um, it was selling in the streets and also it was an online magazine. We, would, uh, we were invited to go and tape the NFL shows. We were getting really big contacts. Sony, uh, the, the PlayStation uh, um, department, wanted to start sponsoring us. So we were, we were starting to move. But there was this, always this conviction in my heart about the music that I was promoting. And the music was getting worse and worse. And, it, and you can see the impact today. And so in 2006, I got more convicted. And I had another slight return to porn. It, it wasn't long. It wasn't a long spell, but it was there. And in, I ended a 16-year music career in rap music and production. Uh, the, uh, the freelance design career was the only thing I had to fall back on because I felt this conviction from God. Now, it, none of this, the end of this, none of them really my doing. I just prayed to God. I said, God, make a way for me out of this whole thing because during all of this stuff, I have people dependent on me. So it was hard to just quit. And he made a way. So basically, when my brothers, at the end of 2006, he was moving to kissing me, and he had a U-Haul truck. So I said, hey, you think I could borrow the U-Haul truck and go down to the office on South Beach to, <laughs> you know, get all my stuff out of there? Because my business partner was gone, too. So, and we owed rent. <laughs> so um, he said, yeah, come on. And they helped me get it out. And basically, that started a new era for me. So in 2007, it's a totally new knife. But there's still things in my flesh that needs to be dealt with. And... Um, I started a course where I started getting to know God more. And um, started looking to more Bible prophecy. This is where I found the studies from Billy Crone. And um, it's called The Final Countdown. It was, a, it was a study that got me more to understand the full scope of the Jewish people and the subject matters that lead to um, modern technology and everything like that that I covered today on my show.
So I started stop playing. I started to play more video games at this time because I had no job and I had my freelance duties going. And the I was playing video games before this, but this 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 started to become a more of an addiction too. So I was playing Halo 3 then, and my brother introduced me to a game called Call of Duty Modern Warfare, Call of Duty 4. And I wasn't really interested in Call of Duty at this time. When 2008 now, my mother's mother, my other grandmother, she died. See, her name would be Sister Herma, that's what they call her. So she died, and that was, she was the glue to the entire family and Everyone would go over there and congregate for a Sunday dinner or whatever the, the occasion is. And so her passing really hurt a lot of people. And they, um, the family basically kind of splintered after that. And uh, that's at that year, still didn't have a job, just my freelancing going on. And uh, I got into this game called Call of Duty World at War. And it was the most addicting game I've ever played, ever played. They had zombies, they had everything, uh, World War II's, Nazis, everything. And it was, you get online with your friends and you just play all night, play all day if you want to. So I saw my brothers getting a little bit concerned, but no one really said anything at the time. So now in 2009, I got a job at a design company in the middle of... Uh, this job opportunity, I was there, I was given a three month grace period, and in the middle of that, a couple of things happened, nothing real serious, just some um, design mistakes or whatever. And the secretary's mom meets me outside and she's like, now she's charismatic. <laughs> so she starts the little speaking in tongues thing, and I was like, okay, what's this, you know? And, <laughs> and but she said, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah, sure. And she was like, God wants me to tell you something. Immediately, I'm still skeptical, okay? So she's like, okay, you, you have a, a, a digestive problem, and God's telling you to change your diet. Well, it's true that I did have a digestive problem, but I still was skeptical, okay? So then she says that, you, you know, you, you love to stay in the background, and, and uh, God's telling you to come out and speak up more, speak up. And you're going to go through a long period of suffering, but God's going to take you out of it. So, kind of ended that conversation. Um, and my boss is inside, you know, just waiting for me. I didn't realize she was there because all the lights were off in the, in the design room. So anyway, I got up from that conversation and went inside and immediately got fired. I'm like, God, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> So I'm, I'm like, I'm already suffering, you know? I've just got the job, I'm ready to get back on my feet, da 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 you know? So walked home, my, my, my walk home was two hours, okay? So I had a lot, of, a lot to contemplate on, but what I started doing was listening to the audio Bible and listening to more soundtracks or whatever, trying to take my mind off of anything. I didn't have, at that moment, I don't remember having anything to do with porn. So, um, there was, by the, the fall of that year, 2009, there's another game that came out called Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Now, they bring these games out there every year. And I would, this, this is the most addiction I had to uh, 
video games ever. I would stay on it all day, all night, unless I was tired or hungry. That was it. I was on there with my friends, all, and my friends were on, I'd find new friends, right? And um, the thing about video games like Call of Duty is they don't, it's, it's something called matchmaking, where they team up people with each other. So when the game ends, you only have a couple seconds to really leave and come back before the, the match starts again. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that kind of feeds your addiction. You have to get into the next game and the next game and the next game and get the points and all this stuff. So on PlayStation, that's that, that, the platform I was playing on, I was number 500 out of millions of people. So I, I played a lot of Call of Duty and most of the people at the top were cheaters, right? They would hack the game or whatever, you know? So that's my video game addiction there and it, and it continued. So this is a, the, the video games, I'm not saying you can't play a video game, but a lot of it is a deception and takes away the time that God has given you to serve him. So in 2010, my dad's mom died, um, and she, this is the same one from Ohio, and she came to live with us in Miami, and she had uh, issues with my child's mother, and she kept her away from my daughter, filled her head with a whole bunch of poison about her, grand, her great-grandmother. So she kind of died not really knowing her, you know, her granddaughter, her great-granddaughter, I should say. So... In that same year now, dealing with all this, I, I um, drank a little bit. Um, I, I didn't even cover some of the drinking I used to do when I was younger. In uh, the, the year that Snoop Dogg and all these people, 1994 or something like that, I started drinking a lot because of the influence of the music. But this one girl, she said, hey, you know, my dad was very abusive and it was always when he was drunk. So I need, you need, I need you to stop that or, you know, take care of that. So that kind of influenced me not to drink so much. So now, back in, <clears throat> uh, this Call of Duty Black Ops came out. And in this same year, I was still addicted to video games, but not ignoring my child. And her, her mother took her out of uh, school and saying, saying that she's going to leave or move or whatever. I'm like, okay, good. But um, I started you know, seeing that time was going by. It was two weeks she was taken out of school. So I took her back into school and put her back in. And then the mother got upset at that and told her cousin that I'm beating up on her to come get her. So she took Nikita away uh, that October. So now this is the, the October of 2010. So 2011 now, I didn't see her all the way till... June of 2011. But in the meantime, I got a good job, making nice money. And um, everything I did to get her back backfired. It's like God was saying, just chill, wait, I got this. So I stopped. I stopped every legal action I was trying to, to take care of, stopped going to every uh, office or whatever. And um, so, so there's a guy that uh, was working at a job and my boss at this other job was very, <laughs> uh, he was crazy. <laughs> he was on Adderall, so when he wasn't on Adderall, he'd come in really mad or whatever. So I'm like telling him stuff about what's going on, and he, he's understanding, but you know, sometimes it's just weird. So anyway, comes June now, I get a call 
say, you know, come get your child, da 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 da. And I'm like, okay, good. So all, this whole time I knew God was going to fix the problem, just didn't know how. And it was basically a situation of uh, someone being desperate because they didn't have anywhere to live. And that's another whole situation right there, another whole story. So when I picked up uh, my daughter and her, her sister, and we went to go watch Transformers and took them back, and then later on they were allowed to come live with me, um, and that took care of both of them. So the, the faith paid, paid off, and you know God is working in the other child's life too because it was a really serious situation, going from house to house to house to house. So now in 2012, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 comes out, and I'm still addicted. I bought every game, and I was there at midnight when the game is released, whenever, whenever, whatever that day is. But in the middle of all this now is an off-and-on addiction to porn. This is where it really got heavy, right? Through between 2010, or maybe even 2009, I can't remember, but between 2009 and 2013, heavy, right? And I started to figure this is a spiritual force behind this thing. And also, I started to research the, the industry, the actual industry, and I saw how the men and the women were getting uh, abused. So it kind of had an impact on me, but I could not stop. And it took one day, this is now in uh, 2013, I just said to God, but not, not, not a thing where, okay, you know when you get drunk <laughs> you, you, and you get a hangover, you're like, oh, I'm never going to do this again. Not that type of thing. This was a sincere surrendering to God saying, please, take it away. And from 2013 to now, I'm just free. So, in 2013, I started going to a church called LifeGate. But, I was still addicted to the video games. And um, that year didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, drama in it. But in 2014, um, I got with the woman that um, I engaged that fall and uh, started a ministry called Don't Let Them Burn. I got the name from a sermon that Pastor Billy did. And I started broadcasting um, on the internet with my partner Rory and um, in that year guess what Call of Duty Advanced Warfare came out <laughs> thank you and uh, the, the Advanced Warfare was really boring to tell you the truth <laughs> but I, I, you know, I played a little bit but uh, there was a thing where God was constantly saying, get into my word, get into my word, um, or consecrate yourself, consecrate yourself. And when, when God has a mission for you, it's like you have to pay attention to what he's saying to you. And 
the stuff that I know today, over my, at this time, 30-something years of life and, you know, being a Christian, <laughs> halfway in, halfway out, or whatever, all of that, it's working for good now because I'm able to give testimony or whatever, but it like it, I feel like it stunted my growth, you know, all of the, the, the stupid stuff I did. So in 2015, um, I was looking to buy a house in Kissimmee and preparing for marriage, but um, basically God had other plans. That's another long story, but I'm going to keep it short. Um, he had other plans, and... He says, slow down and, um, until, and move when I say so, right? So I decided to go to my first prophecy conference, which was hosted by Prophecy in the News. And I saw Pastor Billy on the bill. I was like, okay, now I really have to go. So went, uh, me, my fiance at the time, and my partner Rory, went down there, and we met Pastor Bill the first day, brief five minutes, and then um, we met Reed and Debbie, Bobby, and Kate, Katie, and they're all kind and everything, and I was, start, I was showing um, Reed all the stuff that I do graphically, and um, he started showing Pastor Billy later on after he came from out of a couple of speaking engagements that he had, so I met Pastor Billy again. And, and that night, uh, I believe it was that night, Saturday night, that we went out for dinner. And he's like, um, why don't you come out to Vegas? I said, eh, you know, I'll have to pray about that. <laughs> you know? Um, and then it, short, shortly after we came back, I started producing some stuff for Get Alive. And um, I, was, I still didn't know how to answer the question of, am I going to come to Vegas or not? And so... Um, we were having a lot of turmoil. It, life was really crazy at that time because um, trying to get married, uh, Nakia's mom is back in the pictures, he's causing trouble. They're like, what are we going to do? Uh, uh, all this craziness. And uh, Pastor Peter asked me again, and I, I hesitated on the answer. Then I consulted my other pastor. And then Pastor Billy made a way to, to, to do it, to get everything done. And I was like, okay, this got to be, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to Vegas, or rather Pahrump <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and so got married in court, and we came here in um, June, June 2nd of uh, 2015, and I immediately started working on a documentary for Pastor Billy called The Attack of the Drone, Skynet is Coming. And, and I also joined here at Sunrise Bible Church. So, I mean, working on the, 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 the drones documentary is very interesting because while Pastor Billy's like saying all this stuff, my heart's going like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm helping read film and I'm like, what are you saying? How come I've never heard this stuff? So... I, what, the reason I'm saying that is I recommend you check out the DVD, The Attack of the Drone, because the, the, the rising uh, amount of tech that's coming upon this planet right now is ridiculous, and the church needs to be aware of it. So now, uh, in 2016, after a year of marriage, my wife abandoned us to go back to her old life. I'm still married to her, uh, but we don't speak, and let's see what happens there. 
Um, it was a hard time, very hard time, but, you know. God has many plans. Everything that happened after that, blessings started pouring in, and by the fall of that year, I made a lot of connections that helped my personal ministry to grow. Don't let them burn, which you see here on my shirt. So, and, and other stuff, I mean, I met a lot of good people here at Sunrise, and God is just continually, continually building my faith and um, Nikita's faith. And you, you can't ask for a better daughter. She's been there through everything. Everything. Every single thing. Through my surgery, she was there. And all the friends, all the friends that that, that go to this church know what I'm talking about. I can't call names because I don't want to leave anybody out. So this has been a good ride here at Sunrise, and God has a plan to, for all of us here, every single one of us, because he is faithful and true, and there's no other God like him, as the Bible declares. And um, for anybody listening that's um, not saved or you feel the Holy Spirit tugging you, I'm telling you now, anything you've done, you've, you've seen my life. Gave, I've, gave, I've left, obviously left out a lot, but broken free from pornography, broken free from video game addiction, um, serving the Lord. And uh, when you trust him with all your heart, He's going to do some things that you never think he's going to do. And what he's going to give you, like Tom was illustrating on Sunday, he's going to give you more and more and more and more and more and more and more. And I can keep going on because his mercy endures forever. He's not going to leave you hanging like the devil or the world will. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, you're still alive, and he's still waiting on you. And he did that from the cross. It was finished. So why would you want to hesitate, wait until you're 88, or if you live that long, or wait until you, know, you get your life together, which is just self-righteousness? Why would you wait for all of that when God has already chosen you, those that are chosen? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life or in the Book of Life from the foundations of the earth? That's something to consider because those not written or chosen since the foundation of the earth, you have a destination you know, you know, they have a movie called Final Destination. And that is a horror movie depicting death running after people. And death is coming after every single one of us. Like Pastor Billy says, we're all going to the grave at different speeds. I've, I've seen kids 14-year-old die in my church, the old church I used to go to. I've seen friends, cousins, 
people that I think would outlast me die. So the time is now and God is waiting on you. And that is my message for tonight, except I still want to give you some sort of good news, right? <laughs> Other than the gospel, which is the greatest news. Like I said, I do, don't let them burn. I work for Pastor Billy and Get a Life Media. And I'm coming out with a DVD, God willing, in um, a year. <laughs> and it's called The Alien Deception. Thank you. And this is just some other artwork, I'm trying to get a clothing line going too. <laughs> so this is called the, the Righteous is Bold as a Lion. Yes, so thank you for listening. And enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eyes at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You'll be forced to admit what He already knows. 
Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you could actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. If you like our videos, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell to get all our frequent updates.